This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalife. I'm joined today by Alex Eisman, who's the CEO of Genium, a premium software development and agile consulting firm. What I really like about Alex's his background is we were just talking about you know playing different instruments and kind of like that um, artistic slash creative element to not only his personal but professional life because he does do that for a break. So we're going to talk about that. But he's also a professional ice hockey referee. So for a lot of the Canadians listening to this podcast, you're going to appreciate this. So aside from his entrepreneurial background and, you know, 15 plus years of experience in that ecosystem, Alex does bring different uh, elements to this uh, interview and conversation. So I appreciate you doing this, Alex. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks, George. So tell me how this whole concept for Genium started. What inspired you to get involved in, you know, creating your own consulting firm? Um, a great story behind that. Actually, it starts with uh, me being fired. So I got fired from my from my job, and uh, I I re- rem- vividly remember uh, me walking out the office building at 1 p.m. on Wednesday with a final paycheck, um, and um, gladly it was not something that I you know. Uh, my fault. Uh, the company was shrinking down because they've lost two large clients, and I kind of knew it's coming. I didn't want to believe in it, but I saw a few guys being laid off uh, ahead of me, and I was right there on the street, uh, not knowing what to do. So that's how the idea of working for myself um, started. And at that point, I, I was doing a fairly large amount of games here in the United States as, as a referee because I had when I moved over here, I had to start from ground up. I started with um, doing kids and everything, and I. Um, um, I've been I've been doing hockey for 17 years and uh, majority of my time um, as a professional hockey referee back in Russia. I was born and raised in Moscow, and I worked all the way up to professional level, the top professional level. Um, and uh, when I moved here, nobody knew me, and I had to pretty much start from the beginning. But I moved here as a software engineer, um, and that's why it was a tremendous shift. Uh, so I was on the street not knowing what to do, and I uh, called my friend who got laid off two months. Uh, he, he didn't get laid off. He actually quit himself because he, he knew what was coming. So he quit himself, and I knew he started doing some sort of consultancy, not even a consultancy, but he would start working remotely. At that time, it was... Um, early, uh, what it was, 2012, um, around that time. So um, I called him up and said, "Hey, what, like, what are you doing? Can you tell me? Let's just have a coffee." And uh, we we grabbed the coffee, and he pretty much told me, "Look, I, you know, I I, I was tired of of the stress and uh, clients and whatnot, and I, I went on my own. I uh, start started emailing people on Craigslist. Here's my portfolios." Um, a portfolio, and he was a Ruby on Rails engineer. His name is Kevin, amazing guy. Um, so he taught me basics of, of of getting clients, and I had no idea what it is, and I didn't even know it's going to uh, end up in a corporation that I have right now, international cor- company with uh, 90 people on board and, and growing. Um, and uh, he said, look, reach out. Here's your portfolio. You've done an amazing job at, at this company. You have very good uh, track of record, and uh, just present yourself out there, see if people would need something like that. And I start doing that. And two weeks out, I've got my first contract. And I, 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 I worked really hard. I was super excited. I, that was my very first consultant contract. I had no idea what 
any anything about taxes or accounting or a client relationship, nothing. I, I was just a very hardworking software engineer that always would do amazing job and, and, a, and a high quality job. And I had very tough standards to myself from hockey and being an official. Every game has a tough standard. So that kind of translated over to my business and, and, and work ethics. Um, and I did amazing job for them. A company was based in Los Angeles and they came back for more. And they came back for more and they started referring me over to other people and people started asking um, for Android engineers because I was an uh, iOS engineer and um, I, you know, I, I had to hire people. And that's how I grew in, in, into a larger consulting company here in the United States. And then at, at a certain point, uh, it became obvious that I cannot compete with a price tag of salaries at the same quality that I demanded from guys here in the Bay Area. Um, a guy recently hired on Facebook uh, got a job offer for $350,000 a year, and uh, he was an Android senior Android engineer. So right now it's almost impossible to compete with, with anything if you want the best of the best on the market. And I my quality standards were quite high, and I had that gap. And clients were asking for um, for for hiring more people and more long term. So that kind of the feedback from my clients and not the ability not to hire super high talented guys and retain them uh, to work with me here in the United States at a reasonable price tag drove the decision to start looking elsewhere. And um, I've I've applied my scientific approach um, to test out other locations. So I went ahead and test out. Um, different countries. I did go to Mexico, Brazil. I've, I've tried uh, um, India. I've tried China. I've tried Philippines. I've tried all those major locations with small projects and see how mentality works. And I kind of knew the Slavic mentality already at the time. So I was not considering that at the time. Um, and um, at some point of time, actually, the last, obviously, the last one was Argentina because I stopped and, and, and picked Argentina. Uh, made a lot of sense. Um, ever since I started working with them and I hired uh, two engineers out of Argentina and it, it, it grew over time um, and has actually a majority of our employees are in Buenos Aires right now. Um, wow. And uh, I, I've got great quality, good personalities, uh, outgoing personalities. They were very friendly. Um, they wanted to help. They are very well educated, uh, a very good level of English. Um, and uh, they're extroverts, majority of them, even though they're intro introverts are more extroverts, but by nature, um, they love to communicate, and it's important for people who are uh, basically remote uh, to have a, a very good communication skills, and they have it. They have it all in one package, um, and the time that it's, uh, the, the fact that it's just one hour difference with New York time zone-wise makes it an ideal fit for, for, for companies that need a higher quality um, it's not a, it's not the cheapest location uh, around the world, but uh, in terms of quality and price, uh, where quality meets the price, it, 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 at, that at that time it was a good mix of my quality standards because I couldn't find uh, that um, here for, for me at the reasonable price and uh, time zone communication and, and, the, and the price tag. So uh, I started offering that to clients. They've tried a few projects. They were super happy about it, and they started asking for more and more. And What exactly uh, started... are you consulting on? Just kind of like this thing. Sure. Step back so uh, uh, Genium, Genium does software uh, basically uh, for, uh, for companies. So a company would come in and say, hey, we need a mobile app, and uh, we have amazing mobile app developers, or we can build a team of mobile app developers that can – Go in, take requirements, and execute them and deliver it at a high quality uh, with some cybersecurity aspect. 
Um, a lot of the clients that are working with us require additional cybersecurity uh, policies, and uh, we have uh, we have that um, in our company, and that's how we're able to uh, bring on board um, amazing guys that either right next to the banking industry or biometric industry, um, they're handling a lot of personal uh, data uh, um, and and things that are in need of certain protections. And we're able, my background is cybersecurity. That's my education, software engineering, math, mathematician, and, and cybersecurity is my uh, kind of field of focus. Um, and I was able to find very good people who are uh, good at building software and building it in, in, in the right way. In the right way, I mean good architecture, good testing skills, and a certain right deployment process and security around all those aspects, pretty much a checklist. Uh, so we do custom projects for mobile web um, servers, APIs, integrations, and we also have a model of uh, um, a team extension where we augment stuff and we hire full-time guys through us in our locations for our clients. And it's long-term, basically, you're extending your own team and guys work for you through us full-time. How did you, when you were first starting this out, I'm kind of curious to see, like, okay, so uh, the the corporate side wasn't working out too well. You know, you get the entrepreneurial itch and say, I want to start my own consulting company. You look out in the market, you probably saw, as there are today, several consulting firms that kind of have the same offering. So I'm just curious, what was the mindset then to say, you know what, I'm going to build something that's not only better, but that's more unique, and here's what I'm going to do to market it differently? Right. Uh, uh, it's a great question. And uh, I'd be honest with you, I didn't come up uh, with that approach in the beginning because uh, first and the foremost, I was an engineer and uh, it all came down from me being a very picky about quality standards and the quality, the high quality code that I would produce myself as an engineer. And I, I, I would demand the same from people that I would hire. And um, that's how the niche grew because um, I, as I started my consultancy, uh, people realized that, hey, he's, Alex is very good at building um, mobile apps and uh, not only mobile apps, but he understands cybersecurity and encryptions and all that stuff. And I, I got clients that are interested in it and they, they, they appreciate my skill set and the quality standards. Um, and I got into that niche by, by just me knowing the business. And, uh, and then as I started surrounding myself with people, I've realized that, hey, this is, we're only getting clients who are interested in cybersecurity or not even cybersecurity. They're interested in high quality software engineering and they're willing to pay for high quality and the right mm-hmm. process of developing software that leads to less cybersecurity issues. And on top of that, um, me knowing how to secure accounts, laptops and everything, how to do the proper deployment process helped to establish that mentality in the company. So we kind of, uh, the niche grew from from the client base that I had, and I just kept going, kept on going, and uh, in that industry, referrals are important. Uh, so companies started <laughs> whisper my name from one to another, and then I started having conversations with very, very interesting uh, top clients that uh, that require specific um, specific skill skill set, and they're they're looking for high quality. Um, so that's how that's how I picked my niche, just naturally. And uh, since I enjoy high quality, and it's it's a it's a win, it's it's a good it's a good mix because if if a client is looking for high quality, and I'm only looking for clients that are interested in high quality, and 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 they're ready to pay for high quality and the right process, 
then it creates a perfect match and we 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 had a blast and i think uh coming back to your point at certain certain point of time i started to interview clients and to make sure that we are aligned i i I let them know how we work i let them know what are the standards and um if if our checklist says we have to have um specific um development setup let's say staging servers development servers production servers and that's how we do things and you have to pay for the time for for our devops to set set it up um if if they say we don't need it then i would say hey probably not it's not probably the best for us to work uh together it's like an airliner right it's, it's, it's a good analogy because i i'm also a student pilot so i, I learn to fly airplanes right now um, and getting towards my private pilot license it's like having right. a it's like having a, a pilot you, you jump on a plane and it, it costs a certain amount of money and you pay for security and you pay for all the knowledge and everything. And you don't tell the captain how to fly his airplane, where to fly it, through what weather and how to plan the, the you know, plan, plan the flight. He has his, his own checklists. And if you're not comfortable with him going through his checklist for, for safety and security, then, you know, you don't really enjoy or you don't fly that airline. You go to a some sort of regional other airlines that, are, that have less less requirements and they can probably offer you a better price um so it's important how, how for me to keep, yeah sorry about Jen, i just want to i wanted to because this is a great point but i love the analogy by the way and kudos to you man i'm, I'm assuming it's a commercial license like a or is it yeah it's a, well uh, well yeah. i start with a private pilot license and then you um you graduate pretty much up, you, right? you 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 learn constantly throughout your life lifespan that's what they say the next one will be instrumental flight flight uh rating ifr and then you would get into ATP, which is a commercial uh, pilot license. Uh, I'm in. I, I'm not looking for a job as a as a pilot, but I love flying airplanes, and I just want to fly bigger and interesting uh, uh, flight jets. And also, astronauts have a requirement of thousand um, jet hours um, as a pilot in command. By the way, just in case if Elon Musk starts to, you know, nice. hire astronauts, uh, and NASA has. Uh, requirement of a thousand hours of uh, pilot and command so i figured you know in case just in case i'll have that in my resume as a, as a plan b but i think what's interesting about that that sort of plane analogy is and i think it'll resonate with this being on the engineer side you know and and i, I co-founded actually an app and i would have this kind of uh, dilemma with with my co-founders both of them were technical both of them were software developers i was the only kind of business guy with a marketing mindset sales mindset so I come from this sort of user side, right? And and there's always this dilemma between the engineer and the business person. The business person doesn't really have a sandbox, right? It's utopia, and they kind of think with no boundaries. They relay that message to the engineers. The engineers come back saying, listen, with what we have, the resources, the sort of cost structure, the budget, this is what we'll be able to output within this sort of time frame. If you want X, Y, Z, which you're talking about, it's going to require you know, these different variables uh, that are going to be incurred. So I'm kind of curious. You, you pointed out, you know, the passengers don't really get involved. The, the pilot knows a checklist, and they'll get you from point A to B. But during point A to B, there's a lot of turbulence, right? The, the sort of flight could get choppy, and some people might be delayed to, for their next flight or for the destination. When, when those challenges or problems arise, how do you still communicate that vision to, to the client without necessarily losing, losing them along the process? Uh, it's all about education, and when we engage... Uh the first typically the first month of of work is pure planning so we do planning and we account for as many of those issues as possible 
Um, our goal, if we're if we're talking about a custom project, if we need to build something from 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 the ground up, uh, we have to create a good plan and we have to set certain deliverables. Um, and typically, the way it works, you basically rent a team. So we we compose a team and you rent a certain number of hours for the team. And team says, okay, what you want to build probably is going to take about five months, five months to build. And um, and you basically rent that team. And, and there's a project manager that keeps it accountable. So it's basically you hiring a team to to execute on whatever you need. And if you want to pivot or you want to release less features or you want to add certain things, um, it allows you to use agile method methodology and, and pivot if if you want to do something. Uh, our goal is to deliver, and my personal preference is deliver the first version as soon as possible so you can start getting feedback from users and then plan again and uh, execute. But to answer your question uh, at a high level, we have specific checklists uh, coming from airline industry, right? So we have checklists for issues. If something comes up, uh, there's a checklist that you pretty much open up and you go one by one. Who should be notified? Um, mm -hmm. What is the like? What is the resolution? Who should be on? What is the best way to resolve that issue or pre preserve uh, prevent that from happening? And typically, when an issue comes in, uh, comes up like that, we 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 follow the process. We figure out what happened, how to eliminate that moving forward. And in our main project planning checklist. It, there is another item to address or account for something that already happened and we figured it out. So we learn from the mistake or not even a mistake. Sometimes it could be a hold up or um, so, some, something something that came up and we have to figure things out um, on, on, on the go. And we account for, for that for the next project. And over time, it creates less and less issues because we've seen it all. We've, we've accounted for it all. And uh, we require for... Uh, for our clients to have some sort of technical role on their side, a CTO or a technical business person who can understand the specific business requirements and translate them into technical ones and foresee those things as well. Because um, we're very good executors, but there has to be a technical person on the business side to lead the development. Yeah, it's almost like a liaison. I mean, I, I worked for a, a fintech startup kind of similar to, to what you're saying. We always had a project manager who would be the liaison between the, the client and obviously our firm, uh, we provide the solution, but when there's hiccups, obviously we go through resolutions and we're communicating that back and forth because not everybody on the business side can understand all these technical nuances, right? Um, one of the things I wanted to actually ask, which is kind of interesting, a buddy of mine in Toronto uh, runs a very big consulting firm, a firm that has amassed a lot of success in a, in a pr relatively short amount of time. And I think one of the issues that, and he was very open about this and kind of opened up about the vulner vulnerabilities around this, is the fact that you know, on the on the positive side, he was able to grow really quickly. The challenge with that is he also grew the company in different offices in different regions of the world. And so I think at, at a certain point, you know, establishing a similar work culture in these different offices was was more challenging than I think he had anticipated originally. I'm curious to know from your end, as you sort of grow, I'm not sure what that timeline looked like from zero to 90 employees, but how have you kind of maintained the culture and ensure the quality that you speak of frequently across all the employees that, that sort of work for uh, for the firm. Great question. So um, I, I believe that HR and hiring process is uh, one of the most important processes after sales in the company. So the first first and foremost, you take care of sales. And once sales is uh, set up, you take care of uh, hiring. Um, sometimes hiring, uh, for me, hiring came even before sales. Um, because I had to hire very uh, smart 
sales and account management people that would 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 execute and deliver uh, properly. So my mentality is uh, we hire very smart people, uh, not to tell them what to do, and uh, we go in and we hire extremely smart people. And once you pass uh, your fourth employee, then you delegate hiring to them. Um, meaning the hiring interviews. So you don't get involved because the only thing you need to do is to find four like-minded people who are uh, who are smart, and that's the toughest thing to do. So I, I would do a lot of interviews myself. I would do technical interviews, the HR interviews, and then I, sometimes I would even ask my mentors to uh, talk to a particular person and just figure out who he is, not even from the technical point of view, but are you a good hu- human being? And in our company, being a good human being sometimes outweighs um, outweighs the um, uh, top performers. Uh, there are specific. Uh, I've learned that from military um, uh, military trainings, not personally, but I was reading on uh, uh, special ops trainings and how they hire people and how they combine teams together. And they prefer not to have top performance and um, with poor uh, soft skills uh, or average soft skills. They would over prefer um, top soft skills and good personality over uh, top performers. So average average person, average skill set, but very good personality. And that blends well with, with the team. And then when the team feels very comfortable, um, then the whole process moves much faster and they feel comfort- more comfortable executing on, on top tasks. Um, so I, I kind of learning, I've learned how to combine different things and mindsets, and that's what I've looked for when I've hired first four, first four or five people, and then I started just delegate, and I've wrote down process docs and instructions on what we're looking for, what are the values, uh, what is the interview process, how do we get the person to open up and talk about his vulnerabilities or where he's most effective or how he would handle himself in critical situations um, if his co- colleague is not performing well. Uh, would he, uh, you know, stand him up in front of uh, his manager, or would he uh, offer his support and see if he can help to figure things out? Uh, little things like that, and and then the company starts to grow because they hire like-minded people like themselves. And of course, there are some some adjustments, and sometimes we have to let people go. Um, but overall, as long as they mean well and they're smart and we, you know, we're not all stupid, we can look through resumes, we check the references, we do background checks and we do technical interviews. So we can put a certain number on the, on the scale from one to 10, whether a person is good or not at specific, specific, uh, things. Um, and then I let, let it go and uh company starts to grow itself, uh, cause I hired smart people and I entrusted them with the process and they made it only better and uh, get better decisions even than I could make. How do you define work culture right now at Genium? Like if you were to describe it, let's say in one word, what would you, what would you use? Collaborative and challenging, I would say. Mm. We're, we're still, we're, we're still growing. We're about uh, 90 people, 85, 90. Uh, all together, and uh, it's not a huge company for for different um, uh, measures, and uh, there are certain challenges related to the growth, um, but uh, we've nailed down the hiring process and uh, uh, organizational process, and uh, we're we're great at it now. Um, also, what helps me to scale and el- eliminate that problem comes from my uh, uh, COO. 
uh, he pushes back on scaling. Uh, so he says, look, Alex, um, and, and, that's, and, and that's a great example of a hire, a smart hire. Um, so I've hired a person who adheres to my quality standards. He's very, um, he's very high on, uh, on everything, like from scheduling a meeting, from following up on an email, from, from anything. So you have a very um, high standard. and he, he sets a very high standard for himself in the same way I do. So I, uh, I, I, found, I found it very appealing for me to get him on board. Um, so he says, if you want to maintain the same quality, we should scale smart and uh, pick and choose the clients that we work with and make sure that they're happy and they're ideal client for us so we can go all in and help them. So we don't have to think about anything else except for performing extremely well and do, it, and do an amazing job. Uh, so we right now have a privilege of pushing back and actually picking and choosing companies that we want to work with. And we would rather grow slow long term, but we enjoy the process and we can go all in without and being secure that we're not going to get tripped over some 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 stupid questions about look where did you spend five or eight hours of your time because guys are truly very good people they go all in to help and if they spend five or eight hours on helping their company to grow it means they're not greedy they just you know work extra hours to help somebody's business to grow and we get amazing I'll, I'll, you know we get amazing feedback from our clients and they love working with our guys uh, just because the personalities that we're hiring are good personalities. They're good people first. One of the things that I think would be challenging, just kind of thinking about starting a more services-based firm, is obviously cash flow, right? For you, cash flow is king. And uh, I'm assuming that you're primarily bootstrapped. I might be wrong on this, but... Uh, in a services firm, typically, especially if it's IT consulting or tech consulting, you know, your revenue is obviously every single client and, and getting that next client and filling the pipeline is what keeps this whole thing afloat. I'm, I'm kind of curious from, from your perspective, if you haven't raised any money, how do you view that sort of pipeline and, and just keeping it kind of going without having a massive churn from the clients you're already working on? Um, great question. So I've invested my own money into the company. I've, I've definitely did a lot of work myself and uh, less of time and money into the company. We haven't raised any money yet. Uh, we might be planning on doing it. And I'm a big fan of uh, raising money at the specific time where we have where we have everything set up for a massive growth. And you only raise when you need to grow. I don't want to raise for any in, in initial stuff uh, that I can do myself. Uh, in terms of cash flow, we we are we're great because we work with uh, amazing clients that need uh, high quality engineers and they they're willing to pay for it. Um, since we have two models, one is custom projects and uh, the other one is team extension. Uh, team extension is more of a long term support where they hire full time people at our offices long term and it's basically a regular employment. Uh, so they keep them on a payroll and we we are that payroll provider for them in those countries um, and. For, for us, it's a great opportunity to retain long-term clients and long-term talents. And occasionally, those clients come back for custom projects where we, they need a SWAT team that can jump in and, and bootstrap a specific app or a proof of concept. Uh, and we usually take a separate team to do that. And then if a project goes into the main product, then it, it all transitions into the, their team extension and they hire more uh, of that team extension to support that feature and a product, and that's how we grow over time. And uh, we have amazing uh, sales department and lead generation department that 
now seeks out to companies that uh, we're really interested in um, and not not everybody. So we're not really blasting emails to everybody. We really pick and choose who we want to work with. And it's a really short list of, let's say, I don't know, five to ten companies a month. And, it's very uh, targeted. A very, very, very yeah. targeted and be veto, veto them by uh, the team, what the product they're doing, everything to see if, if we can truly help them and not just, hey, you need this. And like we need to make sure that it's a happy marriage for both of us because we care about our guys and it's not just throwing bodies in holes uh, to fill up the pipeline. Uh, we really find that beautiful match. Uh, there are downsides and upsides. So the downside is we don't grow as fast as possible. Uh, as, as as fast as we would love to, but the upside is we are able to maintain high quality and 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 we're still growing at a pace that we're we feel comfortable at, and mm-hmm. and working with companies uh, that we love to work. A good example would be recently we've talked to a company in Spain uh, that does epilepsy device that. Uh, um, detects uh, epilepsy uh, seizures and uh, they uh, it's a huge problem in the world um, and and people struggle really struggle with it and uh, some of our employees have personal uh, personal connections in uh, with epilepsy and their their and their relatives or whatnot so they're vested into it and they said hey alex and it actually happened they said look we were so great we can help people let's here's the company they're in spain maybe we should uh, reach out and see if we can help somehow contribute to that because they're doing amazing stuff and helping other people and that's that's how we select companies that we want to help and we i've reached out to them we had great great conversation with the uh, ceo and uh, actually flying to spain in a couple of uh, months to chat further and see how we can help them yeah i think i think well that's very interesting just to kind of hear the model because i think that and it actually answers a bit of my 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 question leading to this was, I think you answered a bit of the, the scaling issue that I think most consulting companies will come come across. But the one thing I was kind of wondering from, from your point of view is, what if you get let's say ten clients next month, and it's it's five clients more than what you're typically used to or what your staff can even tolerate? I think there's always that kind of burnout level that a lot of the consulting firms reach. Uh, have you ever reached it? Uh, and if so, are, what do you do in that case? Like, how do you? Because it's always a, to your point, it's a marriage, right? It's a marriage between getting the right clients, but also enough clients to sustain, you know, whatever cash flow it. Right. It, it is for your point, but also have enough staff to to meet the needs of these of these Absolutely. projects. Well, you prioritize. So you literally sit down, prioritize uh, who you should tackle first. And uh, who you you know who who resonates? If it boils down and every everything is equal, we look at our core values, uh, which are all around human beings and helping people, and we just select companies that are un- in line with our internal culture, and that's what it says in our internal documents and policies, um, and that's that's how we would go about it. But we would prioritize, and we would be very honest about where we are right now. And uh, right now, if if somebody comes in with a with a custom project, we we do tell them we have a waiting time for three to four weeks to, before we can even start, and uh, we just educate them and we say, hey, in order for us to maintain high quality, that's where we are. I'm not going to tell you we're going to jump on it tomorrow uh, because we'll, we we won't be able to do that. And if we do do say that and we do do jump on it tomorrow, it's probably not, not going to lead to high quality because it's a long. It's a long-term game. It, everything is long-term investment, and uh, if you start investing into your right architecture, the proper people, the proper process and planning, um, you are on the right track to success. And we will love to help successful companies, and we identify who has the right process 
for us to deliver high high quality results. But I'd be honest, I'd call the CEO or CTO and say, hey guys, here's where we are. We can give you um, some sort of like an engineer in three weeks, three to four weeks, uh, but they'll be very, very good engineers and we're, you know, we have a proven process to do that. Um, if you want to talk to XYZ, a client of ours that uh, successfully scaled to a team of 25 people and in cybersecurity space and they're super happy and they're, you know, expanding more, feel free, welcome to talk to them and they'll be able to tell you that long term our, our plan and our execution plan works very well. And, and typically if they're ready to wait, uh, if they're ready to play a long term game, we are ideal match and they'll, you know, we'll go in all in, we'll help them a lot and uh, they'll be very happy and they'll have high quality and high cybersecurity all around the projects. And if you can share, I know that you, you mentioned cybersecurity a couple of times now, what are some other projects that companies, and I know obviously a lot of this would be confidential, but just kind of on a general scale, what are, what are some of the, the trends that you're seeing in terms of companies coming to you looking for, help on the tech side what other trends are you seeing uh the the trend is 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 obvious everybody are going mobile um everybody are going mobile there's specific trends with uh designs that we're working uh through right now in terms of usability so it has to be a very sim simplistic uh usability case for for users um i've seen some trends with one hand operation so if you if we design an application uh, our designers get a goal that a user should be able to use an app with one one thumb uh, and holding it in one hand and it should be very easy for him to do it um, so the from the ux point of view that's where the trend is right now and uh, a lot of companies are missing out on it um, from uh, from perspective of um, a lot of the companies just go mobile they 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 try to monetize their audience uh, through mobile apps and uh, um, provide them with more information, uh, more access, more control. Even if it's just a simple chat with support through a mobile app, that works now better with millennials. That nobody wants to call and, and be on, on hold for quite a while. They won't want to chat and get resolution right now. Um, an instant gratification, I'd, um, I'd call it. Um, that um, and uh, yeah, a lot of p companies are going mobile. That's what uh, we see. And uh, we have quite a few companies that do hardware in our pipeline, uh, the ones that have established a business model with hardware, and they're all now taking it to mobile. Gotcha, gotcha. I know from, from the beginning of the, of the podcast, you were mentioning Slavic. So when did you move from Czech, was it? It was Russia. So I was born and raised in Moscow. Uh, gotcha. I, I moved over here when I was 25. Um, and uh, I... Uh, 24 actually 24 and uh that happened a, a few moons many moons ago <laughs> i would say and were you always in the bay area what was the i i moved here to san francisco and i i stayed here i've never moved to a different location i i'm kind of like i'm uh, i i think i'm an old soul and in, in that sense um i like i like conservative i'm i'm I, I don't like change that much so once i get a spot i like to stay at a specific spot and grow grow around that spot so i don't like to change that too frequently i'm not opposed to it but it kind of that's what i've been doing well, um, it's not a bad spot alex man you live in like a sunshine state come on buddy i love it i love it <laughs> except for the weather tax that we pay here it's everything is phenomenal how, how have you i mean obviously you've, you've been there for a while but just kind of in terms of that talking about tax and kind of the pricing and i know you brought up the engineer who got the comparison of facebook salary 
how has that been, man? Like, just in terms of running your own firm, like, has that been a, a pretty big challenge on the, on the uh, salary side? Look, uh, if salary side, if if we're talking about engineers, yes. Uh, but we don't hire engineers here in California. So I kind of solved that problem already. And more and more, we're moving stuff over to Argentina. And a lot of the when we have a when we have a choice to hire either in the United States or Argentina, for some one 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 reason reason or the other, uh, the choice uh, falls into Argentinian side. Uh, but we do have why here, Argentina in particular? Like why? So it's a it's a well it's a great cultural fit. So as I mentioned, they're all extroverts. They're hardworking. Have very good education. It's a similar time zone with the U.S. So they work the same business hours. They're online and Slack and all the all the same pretty much same hours as you are. And uh, um, a great education uh, and good English, as I mentioned, uh, and that kind of and and a better salaries, of course, for for competing to you get up to forty sixty percent of savings compared to the U.S. Yeah, I mean, economies of scale are huge. I know a, a buddy of mine actually did the same kind of model, but actually out of Mexico. So I'm not surprised to hear Latam has been thriving in that area. I, but I've tried Mexico. It didn't work out for me. No? Uh, how how do you build that trust, man? I always think of that. Like, was it gradual for you? Do you make frequent visits? Like, how did you get to a point where you're comfortable hiring people offsite? Uh, I travel down to Argentina for a month, month and a half every year. So I have a specific time when the hockey season stops because I, I cannot travel outside of the uh, United States during the, the hockey season. Rarely, rarely I travel. I do travel, but rarely because um, I have my games all scheduled ar- around here, California, and I have to be there. Um, but I do tr- go down there typically end of May, and I stay there for the whole month, month and a half. And uh I, I hire people that are leading the office and do specific things. And I, I uh, work out of here, U.S. office, where we also have uh, 10 people here in the Bay Area. We have two in New York right now. Um, the rest is in Buenos Aires and Cordoba. We have two offices in Argentina. And now we have a small office in Ukraine where we also have uh, five people working for us. Uh, so we're starting to get into Ukrainian market for European Union um, because they uh, have one hour difference with uh, Spain and Great Britain and uh, uh, all the European Union countries and uh, they need a little closer time zone. So we've picked to choose to see if Ukraine will work for us. Um, but look, I run the U.S. office and uh, we have people that run Argentinian office and uh, uh, gradually. And again, once you hire the first four, you make sure to hire very smart ones and let them run. Let it just give him the right KPIs and talk about what what your business needs to accomplish, and then let him figure it out. They're they 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 smarter than you are, and uh, they'll be thinking about this particular topic what they're responsible for for way much more time than you could possibly have. And they'll 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 if you set the right KPIs and do it the right way, um, there is no limit for for them to perform. I must ask too. I mean, I know you brought up the hockey thing, but where did this ever fit in the picture? And uh, I'm assuming you do like a full-time schedule. So that's pretty crazy running your own business and doing this on the side. So how did this whole thing happen? So I've been a professional referee for for the last 17 years. In fact, that was my full-time job in Russia uh, up until I decided to get a second degree in, in computer science and mathematics because uh, I saw a few officials got hurt and they um, they just uh, took a sabbatical or a, a few years off. Actually, one took two years off to recover um, after a very, very big hit on boards. And uh, I, at that point, I, th- I, I thought 
that I need a backup plan. I need something. If something happens, I need to support my family and whatnot because I won't be able to do hockey throughout my whole life. Um, so I went and got my second degree in computer science, mathematics, and cybersecurity. And I was already doing a little bit of programming before that, but I started focusing on that more and more. And the opportunity presented for me to move here and uh, for an engineering job. And the, uh, the salary was three times more than I was getting as an official. Um, and it was sketchy times when you could get hit and, uh, um, you know, just stop your career i i you know it was a tough decision for me but i i took it and i moved over here to the u.s to pursue the engineering career uh but gradually over time when american hockey league expansion came over to california i um, i presented an opportunity to go to go to a training camp and uh, uh got picked up by supervisors and signed a contract with american hockey league and work work here in california as as a linesman for the american hockey league that's very cool man i mean how do you stay balanced running the business doing the hockey thing on the side i know you play instruments like how does how does that all uh two two things um if if it goes down to essentials two things uh one is um your schedule so i'm i'm a constant student of my own calendar i look at my calendar and see where where i need to be and what i need to do uh, so on game days I don't I don't work. So game days typically game days are all blocked out because um, I have a specific routine to go through from the morning, starting from my meal, which is the same for the last 17 years. Uh, everything is scheduled right before the game up until the, the puck drops. I have exact schedule for the last like last 17 years. I pretty much do the same routine every game day. So every game day is a groundhog day for me. Um, that helps with consistency and 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 high quality uh, for me on the ice and making less mistakes and being more focused on the game um so that and um basically uh so calendar first um and then um delegation so you once you hire the right people you learn how to delegate properly you don't if you're trying to do work yourself you're not productive um and in terms because you can your job is to find the right people to do the work and and set the right goals and kpis um, so more and more, and I'm at the point right now where I'm able to, um, do, you know, flight training and I am able to play instruments just because I'm a student of my calendar. I don't watch stupid YouTube videos or anything. So I, rather I would learn something new or I would learn something about aviation or how to play or orchestrate. Um, and over time, look, you, you really, uh, you, and typically, honestly, if, if everybody who's listening right now, um, ask themselves, how many hours they're truly very productive a day, and a lot of them will, you know, will self-evaluate and they can say, hey, probably three to four hours. Um, so I can get a lot of work done in about three hours, and I typically split them up into different sessions. So I would go all in, all in, and do a lot of work in uh, hour and a half. Then I'll take a break and I'll do another work for hour and a half, and that's it. I might take a few other calls during the day, but in front of a computer, it'll be three hours, and they'll be super focused. I'll get through a lot of stuff, um, and um, it's all schedule. Uh, right now, I have um, you know, appointments, I have calendar, and I have my workout at the, at the evening, and everything is scheduled up until that time. Sticking to the schedule. Well, uh, speaking of sticking to schedule, I want to make sure that uh, we give you enough time to get back to your day, man. One last thing, Alex, uh, for people listening, what would you say is maybe one or, or two, three, how many advice you or tips you want to give, but what's that one thing that really stuck with you throughout your experience so far that, that you probably give to the community? Uh, when things get tough, just go back to the basics. Uh, work hard. Um, always maintain a positive attitude. 
um, and um, enjoying what you do really helps because no matter what happened yesterday, uh, when you wake up, you're going to continue doing the same thing because you really enjoy it and you do it for that reason. Um, so there is no reason, uh, there's no, there, there is no failure, but a lesson and uh, work hard. I love it, man. Back to the basics, baby. Appreciate you, Alex. Thanks again for the time, man. It's good. It's the first time we actually chat, so uh, I'm, I'm glad of that. And if you're ever in Chicago, I know you're in the Bay Area, but if you ever miss the snow uh, or the windy city, uh, let me know, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much, George, and uh, thanks for having me. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next time.